I was telling someone, I, I feel like the uh, the guest host on the Rush Limbaugh show. You know, you get a call, and uh, because of, but uh, Pastor Michael contacted me uh, earlier in the day, and telling me that uh, he, you know he's had this cough. I don't know if you're aware of this, but he's had this cough, uh, a lingering effect from when he had whooping cough. And uh, then he had tested COVID, had some symptoms, and that affected him. And and uh, he got over that. I mean, he he could speak and so on. He was in staff meeting this uh, yesterday, but uh, he was coughing enough that he injured his back, and he had to go see him back. And so he'd asked me, but he wanted me to say this: Let them know I am preaching Sunday, no matter what. Because we have to wheel him up here and put a microphone. I'm not, you know, but. Uh, he, he definitely misses being here. Uh, he's been out three weeks, and, and that's, you know, you, you know him. He's like, ah. But uh, so I found out this afternoon. And, and someone asked me about uh, events that are going on. I, I intentionally have not watched any news today. I, I kind of had a sense that something was going to be going on. I didn't even hear anything about it until uh, I was driving to pick up my wife at the airport today. And uh, she was telling me, and, and I had the opportunity to encourage her, because that's what we're going to be looking at this evening, is uh, encouragement. Uh, we're going to be looking at different passages of Scripture, you know, because one of the things I've learned in ministry and life is, uh, is it is powerful. There is a great power and influence in the ministry of encouragement. Now, uh, uh, it is provided, I'm sure everyone in this room can give accounts of times in your life when you've needed it in timely fashion, God provided it through the life of someone else. And perhaps in your own life, you yourself have been an instrument to encourage, and it, it makes a difference. It can make the difference between quitting and going on. I know that in my own life. It can make the difference between in any situation between victory and defeat because there is something within us that has this need and we're going to look at that and there's a reason for that but uh, I want us to I was I, this will really I, one of the things I, I realize is that uh, you are here that are here tonight you're like an, a TV audience because there are a lot of people out there watching this I don't know that you realize that we've learned that and so to those of you who are out there, uh, Michael, I know he said he was going to be watching. He'll appreciate this. In May of uh, 1935, Babe Ruth was 40 years old, and, and earlier in the day, the Babe had struck out three times uh, for the Boston Braves against the Pittsburgh Pirates, and, and he was mercilessly booed off the field. Uh, now, a fan that was seeking an autograph came to his hotel, and when, they, when he got there, they found him, he, he found him slouched in a chair, dejected, and he asked the fan, well, why are you here? And he said, well, I'd like an autograph. Well, why would you want an autograph from someone like me that's just all washed up? And the, the fan consoled him, and he told him, listen, forget about today. There's always tomorrow. It's another day. I have enough confidence in you that tomorrow I know that you're going to be the hero of the game. And he looked at the, he said, you really believe that, kid? 
And, and the fan just not, yes, yes. And so Babe signed his baseball and gave it to him. And the next day, Babe made a comeback. He went out and he hit three home runs. And the second one, being the only one ever hit over right field at that time, over the grandstand in Forbes Field. And those three home runs, number 712, 13, and 14, turned out to be the last home runs in his career. In fact, he retired just eight days later. But that young man provided something to help the babe go one more time at the bat and set those record-breaking home runs that we now look at and go, wow, Babe Ruth. But see, even Babe Ruth struck out a lot of times. One of the things I learned in life is that just because you fail doesn't make you a failure. I've learned that words of encouragement can make all the difference in the world. You see, all of us have times and we have been beneficiaries of the strength and the encouragement and the comfort that come with a timely word, a reminder, maybe a a thumbs up or a hand on the shoulder. And some of us have been the givers of encouragement, and we've we've been there, and and sometimes we didn't even realize how much we've meant to somebody else. You know, it's been a long time since we've been able to go to hospitals, but one of the things I love when I go to hospitals is walking into a an elevator, because hardly anybody wants to even look at each other, even more so today. But I always like to get in there into the elevator and just smile. And, and you know, I've learned that people smile back, you know, because they're having a pretty tough day. In fact, I, I remember in my own life, I'd fallen from my, uh, in my living room, I'd been painting, and I fell, and I... Uh, 15 feet, broke this arm, had a compound fracture, bone came out, and it left this arm paralyzed. I mean, for months, it just was there. I couldn't do anything with it, didn't feel anything in it. I still have residual effects of it. And, and there was coming a day when I, I was wearing this contraption in my arm to keep the, 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 the thing held like this with rubber bands and all this kind of stuff. And, and it was the day I was going to go and... and uh, at St. Francis, down to the basement, and they were going to do a test and measure the, the amount of nerve damage because the nerve up here in my shoulder had been affected. That's why I just couldn't use it. And so I, I went down there, and they did these tests, and they ran this electrical current and, and did all that. And when he was finished, I was putting my stuff back together. And I asked the doctor, well, doctor, am I going to get my arm back? He said, well, a man your age, and I was younger then, I've seen it happen. I said, that's it? That's all you got? Now, my wife worked at St. Francis. She's on the second floor. I'm in the basement, and and I'm getting in the elevator, and I'm telling you, even though I'm going up, I am going down because I am facing the reality that I am now disabled. I, I I couldn't even do this. My arm just hung there, and I am literally processing the fact that I have lost my arm. And so I'm standing, I get in the elevator, and I'm just numb, and I'm standing there, and I haven't even punched any buttons. 
and a man rushes into the elevator, kind of breathing hard, and the door closes, and he looks at me and says, how's it going? And of course, I'm sitting there with a sling in my arm, with these rubber bands all over this, standing there, feeling like yuck, on the borderline of depression. And he looked at me and he said, how you doing? And he looked at my arm and he said, boy, that was a that was a dumb thing to say. And then he said, I'm going to pray for you. And then he looked at the elevator and said, I'm on the wrong elevator. And he opened the door, left, and the elevator closed. And in that moment, God reminded me with an encouraging word that he had not forgotten. You see, the work of encouragement is alive and well. I want us to take a journey and look at, at this matter of encouragement. It's not hype. It's not a, a, an attempt to motivate for the moment. Come on, we can win the game. No, it, it, is actually, it is actually something. It's not a manipulative game or some cheap psycho trip of uh, flatter, uh, flattery. But we need to know this, that there is resident within the truth of God this whole matter of encouragement. We need to be reminded that God provides it when we need it. And God displays it among us when we need it. And God commands us among us because we need it. You see, self-sufficiency is not a debatable issue among believers. Our salvation stems itself from our inadequacy. We are all inadequate. One of the things I've learned in my long years is nobody's got it together. I mean, nobody. Okay, now that provides comfort for me when I feel like I don't have it together. But just know this, the rich, the poor. I mean, look at the, the just for instance, the, the, the great lights of our culture. I mean, they're, they're, if they don't get the adulation they deserve, they feel they deserve, they're, going, they're, they're committing suicide or doing crazy things, see? So as part of the arsenal of, of God in, in our lives and in the body is this thing called encouragement. I want us to see that there's a scriptural basis for encouragement and there is a place for it among us and, and there is a longevity that, that takes place in this aspect of, of, long, of, of encouragement. Now the scriptural basis, when the Bible speaks on this subject, what does it say? Uh, the world, see the world talks about it differently. You know, you can talk about encouragement. You can find all kinds of books about encouragement, positive attitude, and, and all of this. And some of it is just, uh, I remember one time a young man came into our, uh, where I, uh, this is when I was in business. He came in there, and I said, how you doing, Richard? Great! I said, man, that's a little high, you know. Because everything, it was, it was about his attitude. I got to have a, a positive attitude. I got to be, I got to be up. And I'm going, uh, Okay. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about just talking yourself into some reality. I'm talking about what the Bible talks about when it, uh, in fact, gives us the truth basis for encouragement. In the New Testament, uh, this, was, this is from a book that I'd, I'd uh, read not long, uh, some time ago. In the New Testament, there is a word often tra- translated encouragement. The word is parakletion. It comes from two Greek words, Para, which means alongside, and then a uh, kaleo, which means to call. Like, for instance, the church is called the ecclesia, the, the called out ones. Now, when, when you are encouraged, 
uh, you are, in, in a sense, you are calling uh, yourself along yourself to become a source of encouragement and strength. And yet when, when you encourage others, you come alongside them and encourage them and comfort them and strengthen them. William Barclay in his book, uh, New Testament Words, he gives some historical background for this word. He said, again and again, we find parakline uh, is the word of a rallying call. It is the word used in speeches of leaders and of soldiers to urge them on. It is a word which sends fearful and timorous and hesitant sailors into battle. A parakletos is therefore an encourager, one who puts courage into the faint-hearted, one who, whose nerves are feeble for the fight, one who makes the very ordinary man cope gallantly and with perilous and dangerous situations. The word parakleion is a word of in, exhorting others to do noble deeds of high thought. It is especially a word for courage before battle. Life is always calling us into battle. And the one who makes us able to stand up to opposing forces and to cope with life and to conquer life is himself the parakletos, the Holy Spirit, who is none other than the very presence of God and the risen Christ. You see, this word has, a, has meaning. You see, God himself is the encourager. God, the, I remember when we were, I was studying in seminary, the, our professor said, you know, God, God the Father is God over us. God the Son is Emmanuel, God with us. And God the Holy Spirit is God in us. And God is in the ministry, in the work of encouragement. In 1 Corinthians 1, 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of comfort. The word there is parakles. You see, our Heavenly Father is a God, and, and He is our Father. He's the Father of our comfort. And strength and encouragement, he is God the Father over us, providing encouragement and comfort. He's looking over us. Nothing escapes his attention. See, one of the the things that occurs when we feel discouraged is we feel alone. We feel abandoned. We feel like we can't make it. And the Bible tells us God, Abba Father, is, is over us. And he is the God of comfort. He is the God of encouragement. But not only that, God the Son, 1 John 2, reminds us. You see, one of the things that comes in in a believer's life is sin still happens, doesn't it? 1 John, I love how it starts, says, I am writing to you, my children, not to sin. That's his way of saying, now, don't sin. Well, I'm working on that, but do we still sin? Yeah. And one of the consequences of sin is this sense of isolation, especially when it comes to the accuser and attacking us. I don't know about you, but when I have failed God, the enemy doesn't waste much time of pointing it out to me, the accuser of the brethren that he is, of saying, look at you. You said you weren't going to do that anymore, and look at you. And he accuses us to try to separate us from God. And in 1 John, he says, I'm writing to you, my little children, that you not sin. But if you do, we have an advocate with the Father. And the word there is parakleton. An advocate, someone who stands 
in our behalf, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he is the payment for our sin, the, the guilt of our sin, because we, we do it in the light, and we know when we've messed up. We are, in fact, later on in, in 1 John there, he, he says, earlier in 1 John 1, he says, but if we confess our sins, that's who we are. We're confessors. We admit it. I'm a sinner, not a secret, and so are you. So are all of us. But we have an advocate, the Paracleton, who is standing before the Father in our behalf. And that's comforting. That is provides the comfort from the Son. But then there's God the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 16, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper that He may be with you forever. He is the helper, the comforter, the Paracletos. God is the comforting, strengthening, and He's in the business of comforting and strengthening. It is part and partial of who He is. And coming from God, it is not flattery. God's not trying to just pump us up to get us in the right mind and spirit so we can get through the day. He's revealing the reality. He, we've already admitted we have flaws. We are in need. We needed a Savior. We need a God who is with us over us and in us, telling us, helping us, encouraging us. You see, in our sin, the Comforter tells us there is forgiveness. In our weakness, He is telling us there is His strength. In our sorrow, He is telling us there is His comfort. In our defeat, He says, there's his victory. In our loneliness, he's telling us there's his presence. In our confusion, he's telling us there's his exhortation, his story. You see, I I don't know. I, I really didn't watch the news all day. I hear it's bad. Kind of crazy. About par for a crazy, sinful world. But the, the Lord that we worship says, I've got it all under control. Nothing happened today that God just said, what, what, what? No, he knows everything. He is first and foremost an encourager. He is the encourager. But there's also a place in and among us for this thing based, this thing called encouragement. Based on the foundation that God is revealing his truth, we are encouraged and we are to encourage others. In the context of telling believers, uh, it's interesting, in the context of telling believers in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, he tells them all the things that are going to be happening in the last days. And, you know, when, ter- when things are going bad, and, and again, I didn't watch the news today, but I can guarantee you one of the emotions that comes out when crisis occurs is people get scared, don't they? They get frightful. I mean, I heard in my daughter's voice, What's going to happen? Those are natural reactions when these things occur. And so Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, he's talking to them about the last days. And it doesn't take much reading in the scriptures to know, listen, if you think it's bad now, this ain't nothing. Jesus himself says, if I don't, if I hadn't intervened in the last days, nobody comes out alive. 
So it's going to be really bad. And in the context of that, he's talking to them, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. Keep doing it. Encourage one another. How do you say that, Paul? Because no matter what happens, God is over it. God is in control. You're to do it. You're to build on it. Keep doing it. Don't be frightened regardless of the times. God's in control. Now, God's idea for us in this world is the body of Christ, the context of this. You know, if you, you, one of the things that happens in, in a group is we are encouraged by one another. I remember being in the Dome Stadium in Houston, Texas, and uh, the Southern Baptist Convention was meeting there. And Billy Graham was speaking that night, and they were commissioning missionaries to the foreign field. And the place was packed, and they were singing, and I was like, wow, this is awesome. Because there was something about the audience, the the size, the sound, everything about it that said, man, this is something. You see, and God has put us in the context of the body of Christ. In, in Romans, the 12th chapter, there is a blueprint for the church and for ministry of encouragement. Let me read this. This is verses 3 through 8. For through the grace, God, given, grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to, but think so as to have sound judgment. As God has allotted each a measure of faith, for just as if we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are in one body, and individually members of one another. Since we have these gifts that differ according to the grace of God given to, given to us, each of us are to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to proportion of faith, if service in his serving, or if he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, who gives with liberality, who leads with diligence, he is... He who shows mercy with, with cheerfulness. Did you, did you hear this? There are different parts of the body. The church is a living, breathing, connected, conjoined body with Christ. I know we are individuals. And this is a little harder for us to understand because here in the United States, autonomy is it's a big thing. It really is. In fact, in, in psychology, it's the ultimate to have a, a sense of autonomy. But just let this you know, in heaven, autonomy is open rebellion. There's only one autonomous being. He is, and we are His. Okay? But in, the, in this world, He has put us together. And if we are together, it would be foolish for the body to hurt itself. Instead, the body does what it does to nourish itself, to help itself, to heal itself. The opposite of that is a disease. That's something we understand today, isn't it? Disease is attacking the body, and the body has to work hard to fight off the disease. But the body does it, and when when the body turns against itself, it's in trouble. We call that cancer. But instead, a healthy body, which is the body of Christ, it is put together in such a way. There's an immensity to the body. It says in verse 4, there are many members in the one body. I mean, I look around here, and there's a lot of different people here. Different sizes, shapes, ages. 
and, and th- there is an immensity to it. There's a lot in the body. There's a lot of us in us. It extends across the world and across history. I, I, every time we take the Lord's Supper, I remember this. This little thing we do has been done in centuries past. From the very time that Jesus instituted it, they've been doing this over and over and over again because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And I've seen it done in different parts of the world, in different languages, and it's all one body. I I was telling somebody at prayer breakfast this morning, one of the downsides of traveling like I have and visiting so many people in the body is that I've had to say too many goodbyes. But then I always tell them, said, but, but if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the kingdom. Because I want to hear the story. I want to hear the story that God wrote in your life and in the body around you. You see, the body is huge. It's something that's big. And the truth is, even in its hugeness, we need each other. One of the things that modern technology has provided is I can... I can, com- I can have conversation with my brothers in other countries that I know. I, I, can, I can have conversations with my brothers in Brazil and Nicaragua and, and, Mexi- and uh, Bra- Brazil, Mexico, Nic- Cuba, and other places in India. Even though we're disconnected from dis- in distance, we still have this connectedness. It's an amazing thing. It really is. You can go into a place and, and you have no language or culture together. And yet you say, Yesu. They light up because we have one Lord. There's an immensity to the body. There's a unity. Many members in one body. Though it's big, it's joined together. And since we are joined together, we have a mutual need for each other. We need to shred ourselves this idea. It's an American idea, this idea that I don't need anybody. I'm pretty self-sufficient. No, you're not. No, you're not. I'll never forget an incident. There was a lady in, 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 when I was pastoring before, and, and she was very independent. She had had a, a full life, and she had run a business, and her and her husband, who she called the mister, she was a lady in control. But to reach a point in her life where, where she, because of her age and her physical disability, had lost control in her life. And I was there in the hospital, and they had to help her get in the bed, and she realized it, and she just wept because she had lost control. So I, I was there, and we t- I talked, and we prayed together, and, and then I said, can I pray, be- pray for you before I leave? And she said, yeah, now, she, she, her hearing was bad. You know how I was having to talk real loud? And she grabbed my hand. Now, you need, I told you about my injury. This part of my hand here is numb because of the nerve damage. And so she took my hand, and I prayed. And, and of course, you just, out of habit, you kind of lower your voice when you pray, you know, even though her hearing's bad. And so I prayed. And when I was finished, she realized it, and she took my hand, and she kissed it. And I walked out of that hospital room, and I'm walking down the hallway, and I realized, wow. I spoke a prayer she did not hear. She gave me a kiss I did not feel. Yet in that moment, we were both encouraged 
through the presence and the reality of the body of Christ and how we're united. You see, we do need each other. Anybody that tells you otherwise is fooling themselves. Uh, I love this illustration. Stephen Brown explains that when a group of thoroughbred horses faces a pack, they stand in a circle, face each other with their backs out, and they kick at the enemy. <laughs> Donkeys, on the other hand, do just the opposite. They face the enemy and they kick each other. <laughs> Dumb donkeys, you know. We are united in the same body and we need each other. There's a, a unity in the body. There's a diversity. All members but do, not have, but do not have the same function in the body. It's obviously helpful in meeting the needs and, that come up in the church. There's a lot of, there's different expressions that, and giftedness that God has put in the body that helps meet different needs. You've met people. They have that gift, that giftedness that God has given. And they not only express it to help the body, they teach us how to do it. I'm a better man because of my wife's giftedness. You see, because, for instance, the body, the, the, the Bible is very, expressly, is very expressly clear about this. Are we told to give? Well, yeah. Why? Because God's a giver. And yet it's listed in the gifts. Now, is it only the gift, the ones with the gift of giving that give? No. But God puts givers, people gifted in giving, right in the body to teach the rest of us who don't have that gift how to do it. There are those with the gift of mercy. Are you to be merciful? Absolutely. Why? Because God is merciful. Now, you may not have the gift of mercy, but guess what? God has put within the body those who have the gift of mercy to teach the rest of us how to be merciful. See, we do need each other. There's a, a diversity in the expression. For the hurting, there are healers. For the hungry, there are those who feed them. And for the weeping, there are those who comfort. And we comfort one another, one another with the same comfort. We ourselves have been comforted. If you've been, if you've walked that highway where you've had a loss, you connect with people who are going through that loss. That's been my experience. There's also an interdependence. All of these together create an interdependence, which is what God intended. We are not to have hitchhikers in the body who just kind of simply come along for the ride. Now, there's a lot of people that try to do that. You know, they just hang out because they, and, and man, good things are happening, you know. This is why. We've probably seen, there are those, and the pastor spoke to this, there are those because, they, because of safety reasons, they're not among us when we gather together. And that's quite clear and understandable. But guess what? When hard times come, some people, hitchhikers, they say, you know what? I'm just going to go do something else. I just don't like this gig anymore. You see, the church needs loyalists, not to those that are just bail when the time gets hard. The church is made up of interactive and interdependent members brought together in one body. And there's a responsibility in that. In verse 6, it says, the passage shows that there are many aspects in the body and within the body that's to be used. And this is why the work of encouragement is not some psychological gimmick. 
God provides guidelines and instructions which he intends within the church. And, and we can't just simply uh, applaud what God has done and say, uh, and, and, and then not participate in the ministry of encouragement. We need to be encouragers in the body. We ourselves need to be encouragers. I've had to learn how to do that. I've learned how to be an encourager. And you know what I've learned? One of the things I've learned? It, little things pay huge dividends. It's amazing. I mean, my wife, for instance, he, one of the things she does in her little ministry with the children, preschoolers, and, and, uh, and, and, and Awana and the little cubbies, is she sends out these little letters to the kids. You know, just a little note. Cubby stationary or Sunday school stationary. And you know what happens? She'll get, she'll, she'll get, especially now with, you know, the telephone and stuff, she gets pictures because these little kids, they've been walking around all day long with their letter. I mean, they can't, you cannot separate them from their letter. Why? Because even as small children, it means everything. You know, the most special sound in your ear, it's your name. You ever been prayed for? Yeah. And when somebody uses your name and prays for you, it changes things. It changes things. We're, let's, I want us to see what God has to say in, in Romans again of how we go about this thing, what encouragement looks like. Romans 12, 9 through 16. It says, Let us love without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind to one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. See, one of the aspects of encouragement when you're an encourager is in the same way that you need others. And that's a great revelation to you. If you haven't, re- if you haven't realized that, you need other people. You gotta, we got to get past this idea. I'm fine. I'm okay. No, you're not. I mean, if you were okay, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. Right? And I've never met anybody This is, like I said, nobody's got it together. We're all sinners. We're all, we've all messed up. And I, I love going to people's homes and they, they, they oh, 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 I'm sorry about that. They said, you live here, right? We all have messes in our lives. That's not to encourage it. It's just the reality of it. Okay? But, but there's several things that he lays out. One is that our uh, good encouragers are genuine. Let love be without hypocrisy. You don't, put it on, you don't just put on a face. Hi! That's what hypocrisy means. False face. You know, we, we don't, we're not to, no fakes, no games, the real thing or not at all. Real encouragers are really concerned for others. Now, remember the 
God, Jesus said there's two great commandments. You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And basically he's saying there is no one greater than God. There's no one greater than God. Nothing or any, anyone greater than God. And the second commandment, he says, you're to love your neighbors yourself. Because you already love yourself. Another way to put that is, there is no one less important than you. So you love your neighbor. God has no favorites. He's very clear about that. He does have intimates, but he has no favorites. And if, if, the, if the narrative of the gospel tells us anything, is that he stoops to the low. And he loves to stoop in the ministry of encouragement. I, I, I can't imagine what it was like. And one day we'll, we'll know to see our master face to face. But there were people, and you see them encountered in the Gospels. People rejected, discounted, abandoned by the world. And he touched them. He looked at them. He spent time with them. And uh, it changed their life. And we're to be genuine. Good encouragers are genuine. No fake. Good encouragers are diligent. And verse 11 says, not lagging behind and diligent. It's not a part-time thing. Okay? Uh, we, nobody wants fake. You don't like fake. And, and, and nobody else does either. So we're not to lag behind. The church has enough part-timers. We're to be diligent in our work of encouraging one another. Okay? And, and we are, encouragers are also assertive in verse 13. Contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Don't assume someone else is taken care of. I, I love the, the fact of our life groups, and we're always communicating. I got texts today. We haven't been able to meet as a life group, and yet I'm getting texts and finding out things about the people in my life group so we can pray for one another. And don't, don't be shy about letting people know. It's, it's amazing as a, as a pastoral staff. Sometimes we're the last people to find out because people say, well, I didn't want to bother anybody. What are you talking about? We're a family. Tell us. We want to pray. There's somebody listening. We want to lift your name to the Father. And it's more than just Facebook likes, thumbs ups, okay? But we're to be diligent and assertive. Don't assume it. We're to be proactive and seeing and seeking out the cares of others and the needs of others. It means everything. I, 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 some of y'all remember the Gomes family. He, he's, a, he's now they're back in, in Brazil practicing medicine. But when he came, they came to the United States. He came, he had moved here. He'd been a cardiologist. And yet, because of regulations, he was not allowed to work. And so he came and he said, for the first time in my life, I was not that guy that was helping others. He was always the guy in the church because he's a doctor, you know. I had money and resources. I was always the guy helping people. He said, but for the first time in my life, I was that guy that didn't have anything, and people were helping me. He said it was a hard lesson, but it was a good lesson. 
and encourages are also selfless. Verses 14 and 15. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Encouragers are people that give themselves away. Uh, I don't know if you've ever, if you're familiar with uh, a writer by the name of F.W. Boren. He is a devotionalist. He's kind of like an Oswald Chambers. And his little book called uh, A Bunch of Everlastings, he says this, The highest art in dominoes lies in matching your companion's pieces. You know how dominoes work, you know, six, put a six, three, put a three, you know. And so he asks, is he glad? It is a great thing to be able to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're not to be jealous when, somebody, when something good happens to someone else. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Encourage them. Good, man, I'm so glad for you. Is he sad? It is a great thing to be able to weep with those who weep. One of the things I learned in the ministry is that uh, when I come with those, I, there's, not, there's nothing I can say but just being there and weeping with them makes all the difference. It means, of course, that you answer the challenge every time. It won't be long before your dominoes are gone, matching your three to their three, your six to their six, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice. But it is worth remembering that victory does not lie in the accumulation, but in exhaustion. The player who is left with empty hands wins everything. You just give yourself away. There is no us or them within the church. Everyone and every part is important. Remember? Love your neighbor as yourself. There's nobody less important than you, and you need to remember that. There's also a longevity in encouragement. One of the marvelous aspects of encouragement is how long-lasting it is. And how long-lasting its effects are. I carry in my uh, my briefcase a little object, and and nobody really know the meaning of that object. But uh, it was in an event, and and uh, we were given this object, and we were told to write something about a person in the group. You were given somebody, and write something about them to encourage them. And I still have that domino. It is a domino. And, and it is an encouragement. Because I remember. Somebody's watching me. I need to watch others. And, and it has a power. Romans, the 15th chapter, in verses 1 through 6, God records His truth, this truth for His benefit, for our benefit. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those without strength, and not just please ourselves. See, the, the, the goal isn't to just get a big notebook and know all the stuff you know about the Bible. It's to apply it. Blessed are the merciful. See? Each of us is to, to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. 
For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written earlier in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Jesus Christ, so that with one accord we may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are parts and portions that each of us play in one time or another, sometimes to be strong and sometimes to be strengthened. You don't have to have it together. One, I remember one guy once said, he said, you Christians, you're all, you know, you're brainwashed. I said, well, if you've got a brain like mine, you need it washed. That Christianity is just a crutch. Well, I'm crippled. I need it. We're not to live simply for ourselves. We're to live in the context of the family of God. We are to strengthen, be strengthened by God and strengthen those around us with that strength. God himself inscripted. He wrote down so that we would remember and be encouraged. These things were written for our edification, right? To help us persevere when times are tough. I don't know about you, but when times are tough, it's when I need to hear a word of encouragement. I need a little courage for the next morning to encourage us when we need it is that we have the hope which He provides. This unites us in the body, and in that unity we glorify God. See, God is in the encouragement business. Like I said, I've learned the high value of encouragement. It is He who is our helper, our comforter, our strength, and our hope. God is an encourager. In fact, he's, he's the best. He's the best. He's watching over us. Remember I told you our father. I, I remember this about my son. When he was in Little League, he was just a little tight. And he'd come up to bat. You know, most little kids, when they're playing baseball, they're like, you know, he'd be out in the field like this. In those early years, they're not hardly paying attention. But there was an amazing thing that occurred, and that was whenever he'd come to bat, he'd get in there, and the first thing he'd do is look over to see if we were watching the craziest thing why he wanted to know that daddy was watching well guess what abba's watching and abba's good and he will not abandon us regardless of what you read in the news today nothing of god died today nothing of god died today okay And there's an encouragement of God that's to be among us. We are to participate, sometimes as givers, sometimes as receivers. I like how one writer put it, content at times to be the wind and at times to be the sail. Sometimes to give the word of encouragement and sometimes to just receive the word of encouragement. Someone say, hey, I'm praying for you. Thanks. I need it. 
need it. This encouragement from God and through His body will come at just the right time. I was talking to Mike Pinion this morning. We worked together making breakfast on Wednesdays. And I have a special hot place in my heart for businessmen, independent businessmen, because you see, I, I was once one. And uh, oftentimes when we people see people who are in business and we tend to think, man, they got it made, you know? I mean, they, they work for themselves, they, they all this money and, and stuff. I mean, they ain't got a care in the world. Huh? There are so many things, payrolls and taxes and regulations and, you know, everybody gets paid before you do especially in the early years. For about 11 years, I was in, the, I was in business. Business with my brother and brother-in-law. We had a good run for a while, but then we failed. It failed. And I learned the lesson that just because you failed doesn't make you a failure. But I remember one night, around Christmas time, we just finished Christmas, but my wife always likes to watch a, it's a Wonderful Life, you know, George Bailey. And I, so I watch it with my wife, but I have to tell you, there's a part in that movie that just almost lays me out every time. Doesn't matter how many times I've seen it. It's that part where George Bailey uh, is in that place of sheer, raw desperation. Because he's faced with a situation where his, his family, his life, his hopes, his dreams are all coming down hard and fast. His little family that he's got is about to be destroyed. And they don't even realize it. And there was a night when we were in business and it was just like that. I was panicked, afraid, didn't know what I was going to do. If things kept going like it was going, I was going to lose everything. My home, everything. And when I watched that movie, I mean, I literally trembled. Serious. It was a dark night. It was a hard night. Thinking about it, just still. And, and, and I had a philosophy in, in when I was doing that, and, that, and I do the same thing with church, and that is my home is my refuge. So my family didn't even know it. I kept all that from them because I, I wanted home to be a refuge. The next morning I went to work, and it was like, well, let's get this over with. I got a phone call from a friend of mine who I hadn't seen in years. He lived in Indiana. He said, Emilio? You okay? I said, why you ask? He said, last night I was wakened by the Lord. And he said, you need to pray for Emilio. And I just broke. Because in that moment, just like in that elevator, I was reminded that Abba had not forgotten me. He reminded me that I would, he would never abandon me. He would never leave me. Despite myself, despite my circumstances, Abba was good and he was there.
and he hadn't changed. And that moment, I was encouraged to take the next step and move on, face whatever was coming and move on. And that night, I would have never, ever in any form or imagination, I didn't even imagine myself in ministry, much less being in a place called Evergreen. And yet, I learned the lesson. Abba's good. And he encourages me in his goodness, in his truth. And, and, and just as I'm encouraged, I've learned to be an encourager. And we should be encouragers. For the one who encourages all of us said, be an encourager. And if there's any time that we need to be encouragers, it's 2021. Amen? Amen. You know, I've mentioned that. Amen. You know, anywhere in the world you say that and, and you're understood, it's not trans, it's a word in the Hebrew and it's, it's amen. It's never trans, it's just transliterated. So anywhere in the world people say amen. And just for the listening audience, it has nothing to do with men. It means truly, verily, may it be so. We say it at the end of the prayer so we can say, yes, Lord. May it be so. May it be so. And so, uh, not to be too unkind, but to say otherwise, is idiocy. For the Lord who lives and who is Lord over all, we say amen, 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 truly. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. For everything starts and ends in the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, we are encouraged when we look to you, when we hear your word speaking to us, Abba telling us, the Son telling us, you are forgiven, the Holy Spirit telling us, I am here right here in you, helping you, changing you. Lord, encourage us in this. Let us know we are not alone. You will never abandon us. You said you will be with us even to the end of the age. And even so, Lord, come quickly. We say this to your glory and to your honor. Amen.